Code Fund Podcast Network. Welcome to the Chaos Cast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or Chaos for short, project. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com chaos. Today is a very special episode. It's just the two of us, so I'll introduce myself to start. I'm Matt Broberg. I'm the technical editor for opensource.com at Red Hat, and I'm the maintainer of the value metrics working group for the Chaos Project. And I'm joined today by the amazing Venia. Hello, my name is Venia, and I am an online community facilitator and full stack marketer at sociallyconstructed.online. Thanks for having me. Oh, definitely. So these are two names you may have heard a couple times if you listen to episodes up to now. And we're here just to riff a little bit. It's an informal, conversational exploration of topics on our mind. And yeah, Venia, what's on your mind today? What's the topic we're going to run, run with? Yeah. So I thought it would be fun for us to discuss vanity metrics. It's kind of hard sometimes, especially when you're just starting your metrics journey, starting to understand the story of your communities. Sometimes vanity metrics are incredibly important. You don't know what to follow yet. But at the same time, if you keep those vanity metrics as you move forward in your journey, they start to clog up the thought a little bit. They start to muck up your understanding of community. So I thought it would be fun. We have some questions here for us to kind of talk through and who knows, we'll see where it goes. Oh, I love this so much. And I think it's such a loaded term, vanity metrics. So maybe maybe a fair place to start would be what in your own words is a vanity metric? Yeah, so a vanity metric is a metric that you're recording and it looks great. And when you put it onto your report, it says, hey, this is information, but it doesn't necessarily say anything. So yeah, that's my definition of a vanity metric. I don't know if it's different for you. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to try to think of what it means to me because I, I hold two definitions in my head. When I think of a vanity metric, if you were to ask me out of the blue, I think it is a raw metric, something that is counting something, but it's not necessarily counting anything of distinct value on its own. It is this thing that, you know, it's the classic always going up into the right kind of metric. That way you can always say you're improving because simply it goes up. It's like aggregate page views for a website. Of course, the number's growing. If it's not, you're dead or your, your site's offline, right? But it doesn't necessarily tell you a story. And, and I think metrics need to be able to be both positive, like they're growing successfully, and they need to be able to be invalidated, like something is going wrong. And if they don't have both sides, it's a problem. And then I think of vanity metrics in the way of like, it's just being used as a pejorative. Like you, you're using a vanity metric, which really just means I don't care what you're measuring. So I think that is also a, a secret handshake to saying like, I don't value what you value. And that's something that hits home to, for me in the, in the value working group mindset. 
So it's kind of, I hold both Venia. So like, I'm curious, like, do you, do you see those in action as well? Yeah, honestly, when I'm talking to a lot of clients or when I'm uh, building dashboards and reports, I think this idea of the vanity metric starts to complicate itself a lot. You're not, you don't really have a, is this metric useful or is it not useful kind of ideology? You're not sure yet if you're putting together a dashboard or a report, is this actually going to give us the answers that we want? One of my favorite people in the marketing space. His name is Chris Mercer. He goes by Mercer. He runs measurementmarketing.io and he has this amazing approach to building dashboards and reports. And I think that it outlines the actual usage of a vanity metric really well. So if you think about the term dashboard, the first thing the lay individual is going to think about is the dashboard on their car, right? You have that dashboard and the entire purpose is to tell you how fast you're going and whether your engine is being pushed too hard or not, to tell you whether your fuel is full and you can go another 300 miles or whether it's empty and you need to stop for gas. Normally, when you look at a dashboard, it's maybe seconds. You're like, am I going 70? Great. I'm still within the limits. And that's what a dashboard should look like. Every single Mm -hmm. metric should have a purpose that tells you, speed up, you're going fine, or hit the brakes a little bit. A report though, in my opinion and in Mercer's opinion in general, a report is what happens when your car ends up on the side of the road. And now you have to be like, all right, the engine broke, what happened? And there are specific things you check. There's your fuel lines, there's your brakes. You look at the engine and you start troubleshooting from these specific parts of the engine down. So this part lower down here may not tell you why your engine stopped, why your car stopped, or to step out of that idea, to step back into online communities, why did your community stop getting new members? So there's this idea of that metric being a part of the report and being kind of useless for answering those questions. That's such an interesting perspective on it. So to make sure I'm following, is the 70 miles per hour reporting, is that, would that be a vanity metric or is that an actionable metric? Or maybe like, how do I contrast vanity? Like what's the opposite of a vanity metric? Right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) I mean, honestly, all I can say is right. For me, at least looking at a vanity metric on a dashboard, you Mm -hmm. look at A really good example is number of posts responded to within a period of 24 hours. Really common for community managers. Is the community offloading the support needs of the staff? Sure. Yeah, that's a common metric of success. I, I actually come from tech support. That was my first job and the first thing I tried to measure from a community angle so that I could get us funded more. And case deflection was the metric of success. Like how many cases did you, you know, per- conceivably prevent the company from having to pay somebody to be on the phone for? So that's a, that's a really interesting angle. Yeah. And on a dashboard, is that useful? Chances are, yeah, it tells you case deflection. Yeah, my community's doing pretty well. But what metric do you look at when that number starts dipping? On a mm-hmm. dashboard in my view at least, that dip 
that reason why doesn't really belong on a dashboard. It's not telling you anything the second you look down to tell you whether or not to speed up, keep going, or stop. But once your car's pulled over to the side of the road, once your community is having to stop because that integer is dipped, what was a vanity metric on the dashboard now becomes an integral and important metric on the report. So what happens if you called that a vanity metric and now it's important and you stopped collecting it? Yeah. Oh, damn. I love this angle on it because it really mucks up the water around like what is vanity versus what is value, if you will. Like, I guess I'm going to try kind of try and contrast like a valuable metric would be something that is actionable. It, it changes the way in which you relate to your community or you improve your community. And it's, you know, fallible. Like it's something that can be true or false, like good or bad so that you can see variance. Yeah, it gets it gets complicated. <laughs> yeah, no, and I really like this idea that you don't know what's going to be a vanity metric necessarily until you start to relate them to each other because there's you end up finding these, you know, correlations, maybe causal, but most likely correlations between different metrics that could tell a great story. Is that what you're you're getting yeah. at? Yeah, exactly. And for us, a lot of people have probably heard this Metrics are about telling a story. The numbers that you looked at are not about substantiating a story you know is to be true. It's about telling the story itself with you removed. Yeah, that is a bold move for anyone who's trying to prove a point, especially if they feel like their job's on the line. But I think there's room for it. Like, I think even the most you know, fragile leadership, trying to understand their community. I think this is one of those moments where I'm like differentiating which metrics you share with your leadership versus which metrics you use to improve your community. They very, I find they don't overlap as much as we'd like. Like, like it's important to differentiate like, yeah, exactly. Like the, the, the decline in participation on my forum, that's a raw metric that people can jump to a conclusion about. But the thing you tell your your management team is that is a very different aggregate story yeah. um, so it's that the, they don't jump to a conclusion based on the limited info you gave them. Yeah. And it's like this literal interpretation of the word vanity. And it has a yeah. lot to do with saving space and mitigation. You pick the metrics that tell the best stories. Yeah. And, and sometimes you're going to pick ones. I think this comes down to community strategy which is so essential to understanding like why are you using metrics at all and sometimes like you're using it to justify your work like see how much of an impact we make on the business versus other times you're actually you already have trust in your leadership and you're trying to justify growth of your team like maybe you're desperate for another community manager and if you show like hey we are actually dropping in our case deflection and my presumption is that it's because we don't have enough people to support this growing community. Could we hire somebody? Like that could be a reasonable argument. And that's where like the metrics don't have an opinion. Like you kind of have to as the strategist for the community. Yeah, exactly. And it becomes even more difficult when the story that you're trying to tell about your community becomes disconnected from what management wants. Like the role of a community manager is to inform the CEO and the community of what the other is doing. So it becomes this 
question when the CEO comes to you and goes, I want to know how this specific page is being used in an individual community. And this is what I want. I want the page views, click, I want the LTV, the lifetime value of people who are hitting that. Give me those metrics. And it doesn't really tell a story, but it definitely shows a nice use of the page. And the question is, morally, is it fair for your community if you represent the use of that page using those vanity metrics chosen by someone else? Okay. Now, now we're getting into the, the hot seat of being a community manager. Like we were talking about morality of positioning where like that can get tricky. So something oh. I, uh, a very uncomfortable moment that started my, my last podcasting career was that two friends of mine and I all realized that in order to be good community managers in the enterprise IT space, we were being asked to measure things that were not necessarily the things people wanted to have measured about them. In particular, at the time, it was like the rise of Twitter. So everyone wanted to know, like, how many followers do your people in your community have so that we can get an idea of how effective they are by a certain definition of effective. Oh. So, so, of course, we, so we measured it and we knew it was going to be good because they often had way more followers than our executives because they were way more interesting. So you did the measurement, but I think it was always that uncomfortable realization like that we're measuring stuff that we know is not the real value of the community, but we're doing it in order to appease people that pay our checks. So I do not envy that position. So you're just like a no, 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 get away from me in that situation? Kind of, yeah. Um, I respect that, definitely. Yeah, and I kind of share that because my background is in the LGBTQ nonprofit space, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and plus. And I was running a community called rescue.net that was all about people who haven't come out yet, people who are in the closet, giving them online resources and representation, and then connecting them to those organizations that could help them most as safely and anonymously as possible. So here I am with this audience of people who, if they become known, they become outed. And you can be outed in so many different places. And this community, I'm not even kidding. I added a Google Analytics tracking code, so small. Every company has it. It tanked a large portion of the community because the community is like, Oh no, what does this mean? And what it meant for me being able to count page views was nothing like what it meant for them. This potential emotional response to danger. Yeah. How exactly do you tell these other nonprofit constituents that you're partnered with that you can't give them metrics and Mm -hmm. then ask them for grant money? Wow, that's like a next level challenge. So I got to ask, like, so where did you end up going in that situation? Or Yeah, I mean, it kind of comes back to this idea of the dashboard versus the report and what vanity metrics really were for us, because these people are closeted. A lot of them are using VPNs. A lot of them are very internet savvy. Others are not. We also found that largely it had a lot to do with internet access. So most of our mobile members coincided with being in the country, not being in a city. They're rural, and that means there's not a lot of resources in that area. So the question becomes, now that we know that, 
now that we know those numbers, how exactly could we service those people best? And the answer became qualitative data, just asking them and listening really in depth. So we built, and I don't want to like go too far into it, but we built the social currency metric system out of that experience to basically be like, no, we need better social listening tools. And then suddenly our story became the story of anonymous users who were telling these organizations exactly what they needed to know. There was no page views. There was no LTV. There was no ROAS for any paid ads or anything like that. I could not prove the ROI of my community, but I could show them. Wow. I mean, what a powerful story of understanding what your community is comfortable with versus what they're not. Because I think it's fair to say anyone with sort of product management background or experience might think that qualitative data is just so much more intimate than just this anonymous, allegedly anonymous, you know, page view data. But for your community, it was exactly the opposite perception and experience. And that experience was real. And it was the difference between being able to capture some meaningful value for your stakeholders and not. So damn, that is, a, that is one to keep in my noggin on how to understand my audience and listen to my audience and, and reflect their needs appropriately. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. And it definitely contrasts with uh, your story about Twitter as well. This idea that the Twitter statistics and messages about your followers' followers two mm-hmm. steps out, how exactly are you ever going to tell that story without the very metrics that I threw out? Yes. And this is a great conclusion for, for my story. So that community of people, while they, they balked at first because they're like, well, why does that matter? And I said, well, for us, it absolutely doesn't. But what it does is it shows, it contrasts this other effort that also requires budget inside the same department. And in that way, it's become a standard. I'm not saying it's a great standard or a bad standard. I'm saying it is. And once that community of people that I manage, uh, my transparency with them on what the process was for how we get funded, how we get to do the fun things that we do in our community, they were on board for it and they were into it. And in a future, like when we started covering events, there was another metric like that had to do share a voice. So how much of the traffic around a given topic did uh, a certain group generate? So it's a competitive analysis. And I showed that my little group of community generated 50% of the share of voice of our whole company. You know, thousands of people tweeting, oh, who wow. cares? This small group had so much influence and so much gunpower on the social media point of view that they were, they were punching way above their weight. And that resulted in huge amounts of funding and interest in our group. So something that started out as arguably a useless vanity metric turned into something that was more useful than I could have imagined. So yeah. it's kind of fun, like how those stories just contrast despite both reaching the same ends of being valuable to our community. Yeah, exactly. And I think it really underscores this idea of a vanity metric is only a vanity metric when it can't be applied, but that doesn't necessarily mean that upon that application, it doesn't become vital. Huh. So what's your thought, Venia, on one of my favorite quotes is that be careful what you measure because you just might succeed in becoming it. What's the risk of measuring here, especially with these vanity metrics like that we possibly 
provide an incentive for things that we don't necessarily want to incentivize. Oh, that's wow. Great. Good, good question. <laughs> wow. I, I kind of want to know what others think of this. Like, I'd really like to know what viewers think of this. Good question. Great. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll do a follow-up on that because it is a deep, deep well we could go down of like, what's the risk of measuring the wrong thing? Um, yeah, we, all have, we all have at least one good story there. Yeah. And the fun thing is when you're talking about social media, when you're talking about marketing or really broad communities, like brand communities that use Facebook groups, there's also GDPR to consider and like yes. legal restrictions on what you are and are not allowed to collect. Right. So um, for listeners not familiar, could you give like a thumbnail scratch of what GDPR is? Oh, yeah. So GDPR is a new marketing policy. And there's actually a lot of different copies of it happening all over the world. This one is actually Eurocentric. So if you're in Europe, you fall under GDPR. The problem with that is that it's also for people dealing with people who live in Europe. So it's actually on the um, recipient's end of whatever service you have. So here in the States, there's this notion of, oh, so GDPR, this highly restrictive online communications policy just means that I no longer have to market with Europe. Mm-hmm. Not ne- <laughs> that sounds that pretty, sounds insane. <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. <laughs> but a lot of people have done it. They basically said, "Yep, our net e-commerce company is no longer dealing with anyone within the European nations, and they lose out on that entire market precisely because of a few simple changes that have occurred in practice. One of which being that cookie banner that everyone sees now." You have to have banner. that cookie banner on there if you have IP traffic from Europe. And there are a few other changes that we thought was cataclysmic in my industry, in the marketing industry, almost apocalyptic in nature. And now, two years later, there's this lawyer I highly recommend. Her name is Suzanne Dibble. Um, we'll include some something in the show notes here. She has extensively covered GDPR And it's surprisingly easy to coordinate with. And the fun thing is GDPR in preventing companies from using, sharing, collaborating, and collecting data that is considered personally identifiable information or PII, all of those restrictions have led people to trust the ads on Facebook that are served to them more. Wild. So it's almost like privacy is not in direct competition with monetization. Who, who would have thought? Yeah. And it seems a little bit diverse, like brand communities specifically, but even in open source, whenever you enter into a community, and this is what I really honestly believe so much so that it's become a foundation of my work. Any business building a social presence online is entering into a community. And the most important question they should be asking is how a business or economic industry impacts the health and well-being of those communities they enter into. Building metrics that tell you about that while also trying to avoid the things that people don't want you to collect is a very difficult thing to measure. It's really hard to tell that story because we automatically jump to while we need a higher resolution understanding of this community member's behaviors. So we need to track these things. 
And by and large, it goes too far and tells too little. So you just have to find those chief metrics that tell that story in a way that both parties are comfortable with. That is exceptionally wise and powerful words. And, and I mean, we can both speak from experience that not necessarily easy either. It's, no. it's the hard work of <laughs> this work. But if you're listening to a podcast about metrics, I think you're down for this. Yeah. So, so thinking back to you know, GDPR, and we were just talking about how many metrics, you don't know what you need until you know, so you might collect more than you need to. So in the sea of data that's available to us, what are some safe places to start if, if people are looking for advice on like, what are things that might be vanity looking, but could end up being valuable? Oh, wow. Yeah. I can, I can throw one out to start. Yeah. That, <laughs> so I have found the, the chief offender of vanity metrics in my world are page views. You know, oh. I live in a content centric world. I like to make stuff and I like people to pay me to make stuff. Therefore, I want people to look at it. And that is on websites, page views, ideally unique page views as well, or listeners on a podcast per se. And on their own, they don't meet a real level of scrutiny or interest. But what I have found is that if you're in an organization that values them, then they are valuable. It's the same concept with paper money. Paper money doesn't hold value on its old. It holds it in the sense of a, it's a barter system that we all agree upon. And I've lived in multiple worlds where the barter system of page views is valued quite well. And when you use page views as a currency, to make an analogy of like, oh, this is valuable relative to that value based on page views, you can continue to do so. So I wouldn't discount them. I wouldn't use them on their own, but as an analogy or a comparison, they're exceptionally powerful. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I actually have a client right now who is at the beginning of their measurement journey, a 30-year-old company, but they haven't really looked into building real quantifiable metrics for their activities. And we are working up to getting to a point of measuring the community. But I had to tell them, first get good, then get great. And that good level is those page views. But I also told them, these page views don't mean enough. They're telling you this is how many people hit the page. And uh, there's this other thing that I just put at the very core of my work. And I find that this is also a summation, kind of. I hesitate to say this, but until someone fights me on it, I will. Just between you and me and <laughs> the podcast? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and every uh, listener ever. But <laughs> I use something called the rule of generalization, which is a summation of the very way that anthropology and sociology and pretty much every social science works. And that's essentially A concept, this thing happened or you have a hypothesis, applies to B population, these people, only so far as C limitation. And if you don't have C, then the data, it's, it's pointless. When you think about your metrics, you can use page views, something incredibly simple, to essentially say, this many people are hitting our landing page and this many people are hitting our thank you page, which seems to be a conversion rate of 20% or 10% or whatever that is. And then you can benchmark that just using page views. Yeah. That's a good place to start. It's not a great place, 
It's not going to tell you a lot, but they're comparable. Page views on page A, page views on page B. Then you can look at it and say, all right, so what do I need to really get that C in the equation? What's the limitation here? It's just people who loaded pages. And in Google Analytics, at least, a page view is counted every time someone hits a page or reloads that page. And then there's unique page views, which is that page can only appear once in a session. So now you have users. Mm -hmm. Users are anyone who starts a session. And you can add that to your story now and basically say, these unique page views, these amounts of users loaded this landing page five times before they moved into the thank you page. There's an average amount of five times per user suggesting that they have to see this landing page five times before they'll purchase. Right, right. And now, like, I love how you built that narrative up from seemingly, you know, nothing or just, you know, what could be seen as like uncorrelated events, but like your knowledge and the data in combination, when you cross those two, you end up with this, you know, rich storytelling. And you also landed back on a place that I think is so easy to forget when we get in the numbers too far is that what the hell are we measuring? And it's real human beings 90% of the time, right? Like other times it's about the software, no doubt, but it's usually about the human beings interacting with their software and getting back to unique readers and even like logged in users or contributors. If you're doing more open source project management, like that's the stuff of value. It's the people. I, I like to say that metrics are a Trojan horse to the real relationships we get to foster in our communities. And oh, I love that. I think that's I a perfect, that. perfect example of it. Yeah, definitely. Metrics are a Trojan horse. I just, that's great. That's my talk that I could not, I, it's still accurate today. Like I, I keep thinking we're done with trying to define value in community. I'm like with the the rise of developer relations and the adoption of it, and with everything being just a bit more measurable than it used to be because we're there's so many digital interaction points. I just thought we'd be done, and we're just not there yet. Like it's still hard to define value, oddly enough. Yeah, and being honest, in the industry that we're in, and in open source especially, I don't see a time when community members aren't going to be asked that question. How do we prove the value of this community? And I think a large majority of the reason, I'm going to be a little extreme here. I think a large majority of the reason is because uh, people who are not community managers see community as trying to create a science, but they're kind of skipping the fact that communities are sociocultural in nature, and therefore they must be measured social scientifically, not scientifically, but social scientifically. There are so many different methods and traits. Social listening and keyword analysis lend themselves to deep description. This idea in academia of putting as much bias and as much conversation as possible into a message or into a description of your interaction with the community Oh, that I see. people understand the limitation of the concept on the population. It's establishing the C. And a lot of people are like, all right, let's get scientific here, put together a funnel. And going back to that previous example of using page views and users, that can't 
give you an entire funnel. If you're doing funnel optimization for your community onboarding process, you can't just use those metrics because they don't tell a good enough story. It's not enough resolution. But if you start to look at better social listening, if you go ask the people who recently converted, you can ask them, hey, what almost stopped you? Mm. What did that? And then you start to get this notion, this sense that a certain group are coming in. You've niched yourself on accident. And by defining that niche, you can now understand the hurdles that caused it. Holy moly. What, I, what also just blew my mind about that was just the, the recognition that, you know, I don't have the academic background to fully understand what you mean by it by the separation of those two things. But I, I think there is something that like the inclusion of bias as a value is just something that hits home for me. Anyone that's ever hung out in a community long enough, you get your own inside jokes and your own vocabulary. And like, that is, that's not a bug. That's a feature of it. Like you want other people to feel included when they get there. But like the fact that you have your own lingo, that's part of the tribalism. That's part of what adds value. So yeah. I, yeah. I love bringing context back into it as opposed to trying to objectify it to the point that it's not representative. Exactly. And it brings to mind this uh, quote that LGBT support group leaders tend to have. Uh, if you take a training from safe spaces or something like that, there's this statement of exclusivity breeds inclusivity. Hmm. And it's this idea of understanding that if a certain group of people who have specific likes come into a group, and someone is feeling excluded, you've just identified a limitation that in turn establishes a need. And now you know where your niche might need to grow out. So instead of growing this community to become more inclusive, and as a result, refuse people's ability to affiliate with themselves, you can create a second group, a second cell that establishes that need and brings more people together. And before you know it, you have 10 different support groups that's difficult to manage, but every single support group has an incredibly high value. Right, right. And yeah, there's a great affinity to it for the people that have self-selected into it since you've made it for them, like you specifically made it for them and their needs. I love that so much. It kind of uh, beckons back to Seth Godin's Tribes uh, as like a foundational book. Is it, it like clicked on the this idea of like why people group together online and how they do it. He kind of very unscientifically like offered a model, which reminds me of like, you said like the scientific use of a funnel. I, that's so uh, ironic to me because a funnel is just another model that we're imposing on information. It's not science so much as convention. I'm, I'm reading a book about the kind of smashing the funnel, like removing this idea of a single funnel and understanding more of how people flow through environments. And it's all to say like, that's not, there's not one right way of doing it. There are many different ways and that we're, we're choosing a model, whether we know it or not. So best to choose one that suits our community. Exactly. And I mean, you can, you can make a funnel, but that doesn't mean that people are going to follow it. And you might be excluding by way of establishing a very specific funnel you find has no vanity metrics. You might be putting the blinders on, so to speak. And now there's people outside of these blinders that find value in your product or your service or your community or your project 
or your software and you have no clue. You have no idea because you've listed a bunch of specific metrics as vanity. But at the same time, on the flip hand, flip hand, I don't know. I like flip hand. Let's keep that. (laughs) (laughs) Flip hand it is. On the flip hand, that your business also has to stay laser focused or it's going to start expending effort, which means money and time in a place where you reasonably can't progress or grow. It becomes this really complicated measurement system trying to decide what's a vanity metric to tell a story and what's not. I love that. This has been so fun. I think for listeners, let's try to wrap up. Like, What's one major takeaway from this conversation that they can hold on to when it comes to this idea of vanity metrics? Mine's, Mine's straightforward. It's don't dismiss a powerful vanity metric that other people value. Like if you if you know your organization, and if you don't yet, first ask. But once you know your organization, you're really trying to figure out value as a relative value so that you can get funding and continue to grow your community. So find those those points of value, even if they're a little cringy at first, and and find ways of making them into something meaningful. Exactly. Yeah. I cannot I cannot find any place in that statement where I disagree. Oh, awesome. That makes me really, uh, really, really happy. So yeah, what's your, what's your one takeaway for, for the, uh, mine the community? Would be, hmm, I think I would probably have to go with, start taking this idea of pushing the limits, literally. Start looking at the rule of generalization and figuring it out. What is your C? A concept applies to B population only so far as C limitation. And then determine whether or not you can push that boundary and start Mm -hmm. considering your community rather than being scientific and needing numbers, consider it social scientifically and needing limitation. That is absolutely uh, a brilliant concept and something I'm going to leave thinking about for uh, a while. So, well, thank you so much, Benny. This has been a really fun, different chaos cast. Listeners, (laughs) if if you enjoyed this, let us know. If you have other feedback, we also appreciate it. You can email us at podcast at chaos.community or hit us up on Twitter. We're both very easily found on social media. But with that, thank you so much for joining us this week. If you would like to stay up to date with us, we, we send this to all your favorite podcatcher apps officially now. So please share it with your friends, share it with colleagues, share it with people that love metrics, hate metrics, and, or need to fall in love with metrics. And until then, thanks from the chaos community. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode with 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, their enterprise grade hardware, S3 compatible storage options, and next generation network. Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com chaos.